Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance. And I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. What's poppin' family? It's your boy Jalen here with Black Wolf Renaissance. I just want to invite you guys out to our networking mixer happening December 14th in New Orleans, Louisiana. Click the link in our show notes to get more information on tickets and details. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wolf Renaissance Podcast. David Bellard checking in with my co-host. What's up, y'all? It's Jalen, man, checking in. What's going on, guys? It's Kelly checking in. What up, what up, what up? It's Jared checking in. What's good with y'all? Chilling, bro. How y'all doing, man? Living good, brother. Living good. Another great day. I'm excited. Hey, man, this is gonna be a great podcast. Bro, it's crazy. Yeah. Whenever we first heard of this person, we came up with a name for this episode. Yeah, like, like that day. <laughs> it was like, oh, we gotta do this shit. So it's just lit that it's finally here. Yeah. Uh yeah. But without further ado, we'll just get into our guest, man. It's a young lady from uh Maryland yeah. doing major things. The youngest female dispensary owner yeah. in America to own a Marion Maine. Miss Hope Wise. Hey, let's go. Hi, everybody. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, appreciate uh, it. We appreciate you for coming, you for coming on. on. Of yeah. course. Of course. No problem. Oh, yeah. Um, so we just gonna kind of dump jump into it. What's was like that process of you even getting to that dispensary? Or like not even dispensary. What what was the process of you saying, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur? 
And then this is the route that I want to take. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I mean, it definitely was not just obvious. Um, But, you know, you have to follow signs when you see them. So for me, I, in college, I decided I wanted to go down a track to go into investment banking. I had started doing internships at investment banks during my summers. I had landed a full-time offer uh, by my senior, the start of my senior year for when I graduated. So, you know, I went through senior year, like, all I have to do is pass. <laughs> already have a job. Um, and then I started working right out of school. So, you know, I don't know if you know too much about the investment banking trajectory, but it's difficult at, in this day and age to get in to investment banking. Kind of your only entryway is through interning and then getting an entry-level job and then working your way up the ladder. So I had began that process and I was really excited about it. But, um, you know, once working full-time, I realized that I didn't love it that much. And I was uh, really depressed, to be honest. And I wasn't necessarily looking for anything else. I was going to push through because I thought that that career path was uh, the best one for me, my skill sets, and where I wanted to go into life. But uh, I was really ups- I was I was sad. Um, I was depressed. I hated it. Um, and in result, I like I said, I wasn't naturally looking for something else. Uh, but I was raised with an entrepreneurial spirit. My mother is an entrepreneur. She owns her own dental practice. She owns real estate. My grandmother is 86 and still uh, she ha- she's a broker, owns a lot of real estate in South Carolina. And my grandma still is going and knocking on tenants' doors and collecting rent. So I just, I've grown up watching working women and um, watching them really defy odds. So for me, I remember watching CNBC one day, it was on the weekend, and they were talking about the trajectory and the, the growth of the cannabis industry. So this is around 2014. And I remember seeing a chart that the, the growth looked like that. And remember, I was an econ major in school, so I'm, I'm used to looking at charts and analyzing industries. And I remember thinking, I've never seen someone talk about the growth of an industry, and it's just like a straight, you know, straight shot up. I've never seen that. And then I knew that the industry was brand new. They were talking about it was going to surpass, you know, very popular, huge industries and quickly become a multi-billion dollar industry within, you know, that was 2014. They were like, yeah, within you know, three to four years, we're going to be talking about $10 billion. Within 10 years, which is around, you know, 2024, 2025, we're going to be talking about $30 million. That's what they were saying back then. You know, now fast forward to 2019, we're talking about a $12, $13 billion industry. And they're projecting that we could get anywhere between 50 and, you know, 75, I've even heard, $75 million, a billion dollars, I'm sorry, by Uh, 2025, just depending on how laws are affected in the next few years. So I think I made the right decision. But that was the moment that, you know, kind of made me say, hmm, what is that? What's happening? How does this work? And this industry is extremely nuanced. So it took a lot of research for, you know, my mom and I, because we decided to go after this together to um, completely pursue it. And then for me, the extra little push was I failed a really important test I needed for my job. And it was giving me, I mean, I was having anxiety attacks because I knew how important it was for me to pass that particular test. Um, It was a series seven 
if you, any of you know what that is. Yeah, and it's very okay. difficult test. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, long tests. Physically, it's just, it's really draining on you. And um, I, I failed it. And after that, I was like, I don't want to do this. You know, I really, I, I, I needed a reason to push me out. Um, and I'm just lucky to have uh, the support of my family to be able to support me during that, that time that I was transitioning and getting into cannabis. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how it, it started. And it was not, like I said, I was not looking for anything. It kind of found me. And just like once my interest was, was sparked, I couldn't put the fire away. Like one thing I really, really want to pull out of that is like, you mentioned that you seen, you grew up with your mom and your grandma, like working women. And that's something major because one thing that we really believe with Black World Renaissance is that if our community saw examples, yeah, have a lot more achievement. Yeah. And just seeing what you've done, like that's just like a real strong, like, Testament. testament to that yeah like a, yeah. a testimony to that because like having those examples of those working women now you're the youngest female uh yeah. dispensary oh, owner yeah. like canapreneur as they call it on the internet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i agree i agree I, I thank my mom for that every day and i tell people all the time you know the way i was raised is the reason that i can do this i i was put into i used to do pageants growing up and competitive dance and you know, my mom and I and my dad sometimes would travel the 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 country, um, taking me to different pageants and all that stuff. It all prepared me for what I'm doing today. You know, I'm that confidence, the the independence, the resilience of having to put yourself out there and be judged. Um, you know, all of those things. So definitely, I mean, and that's why I, I even though it is heavy to have that title and to walk with you know, to be paving a way for other people. It's a heavy thing. I'm really excited that I get to do that because I want to see other African-Americans get to get in into this industry while we still have a fighting chance of turning it into generational wealth. That, that opportunity will pass yeah. um, soon. So we still have a unique opportunity. I want to inspire people. And then once the opportunities pass, I want to inspire people to do it whichever way speaks to their passion i love it that's and that's so right because like you're not just doing it for yourself either like you said you're, you're doing it to actually pave the way and i like how you said you grew up you're able to take on that that mental you got that mental toughness to be able to take on that that uh weight because a lot of people don't understand that hey there ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Business in itself is 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 mentally taxing, 
But I'm pretty sure in a business that's not even federally legal yet, that's even more taxing, right? And I know being the youngest African-American woman on top of that, like, so you have to actually look at it and dissect it like that. Yeah, so Especially the cannabis industry. Yeah. And that's what you always hear about the challenges. And that's something I wanted to get into. Like, the challenges and a lot of people always say, you know, you have to have this to get in um, or you have to go through these hurdles and loopholes. And they always talk about the horror stories and all those things. So, yeah, definitely. Like, how, how was that process of overcoming that? And about how long did it take you to actually learn and just really just dive in, in that? Okay, so that's a loaded question, but I, I have the response for you. But um, I will say there are a lot of hurdles. It is as difficult as you think um, to get in on the legal plant touching side of the industry. However, there's so many other ways you could be a part of the cannabis industry today. Um, but if we're talking about legal plant touching sides, so that means a dispensary owner, a cultivator, someone who's processing, making vapes and oils and tinctures and transdermal patches. Okay, that's one side of the industry. And then there's the ancillary side that, you know, supports the industry. You could be a lawyer, security consultant, um, investor. Uh, you could make packaging and labeling, you know, so you're not necessarily touching the plant, but you are supporting the industry. And if you could think of like in the gold rush, the people who sold the picks and the shovels always succeeded in people who were searching for gold. They were winners and losers. Mm. So that's exactly what's happening right now in the cannabis industry. Go ahead. Someone wanted to ask a question. Oh, no, I wanted to ask a question. I was about to ask, like, who would you compare that to now? Like, uh, would the dispensary owners be the gold miners and the, the who uh, the packagers? The plant-touching people are the gold miners for sure. And then, mm -hmm. you know, packaging and labeling, all those ancillary support uh, companies are definitely the people who are selling the picks and the shovels. I mean, there are people right now making software for a cannabis industry. There's just so many different mm -hmm. Um, But, so yeah, software, because, I mean, just like, so you have to think about it like transfer, transfer every piece of this industry. So there's different sectors within the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. there's, um, you know, there's, there's the cannabis industry. Then there's um, cultivation, plant touching side, uh, retail, all that stuff. Then there's ancillary services. But even within ancillary services, there are subsectors. There are, you know, we could look at um, transportation. We could look at security. We could look at um, IT and software, which is a huge sector for cannabis because IT software mm -hmm. um, tech stuff is huge on its own. So then combine that with cannabis, investors are having, you know, they really like, yeah, that, <laughs> they love that. Um, so it's just, it's very difficult to break into the plant touching side. But how I did that and how long it took me, um, it took me, so that was 2014 when, when I first you know, got the fire about this industry. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so at that point, what I did was I started researching how the industry worked. And I realized that because it's federally illegal, each state had their own completely separate rules. They had their own process of licensing. Some states had more competitive licensing than others. Um, some states uh, required more money than others. But I thought to myself, okay, which states are gonna be the most limited and the most exclusive? 
That's where I want to be. I don't want to go to California. I don't want to go to Colorado. I don't want to go. I've started to realize the West Coast is not, is going to be saturated, you know? And, and then I'm not from there. I don't know people there. I was like, that's not where I need to start. Um, I, I thought I was in Atlanta still. I had graduated from Spelman, was working in Atlanta at SunTrust Robinson Humphrey. Um, and then I remember saying, okay, Georgia is not legal yet. You know, they don't have, they, they have passed some law that, which is still intact today. It was like low THC oil where pretty much you could have, um, you can have low THC oil on your possession if you have a medical card, which is difficult to qualify for. Just, but there was no framework set up on how you could buy it or sell it. So technically, if you had it, you committed a federal crime because how'd you get it, you know? Yeah. But anyways, um, but that's how the law was set up in Georgia back then. So Georgia was out. I'm like, can't do any, can't make money that way. Yeah. I looked at my home state of Maryland um, and I saw, wow, they just passed a full medical cannabis bill. Mm-hmm. And in that bill, I realized they would be licensing for um, around 100 dispensaries, 15 mm-hmm. cultivators. And 15 processors and I re- I started reading and reading articles and I'm going oh the application process is coming up soon mm. I was like, what does this look like so I started to look at it figured out what it wants I, this is still 2014 um, I started to look at all the different components and I go okay you know I, it's a lot of healthcare background a lot of experience in the healthcare field pharmacology they wanted to see and then for cultivation, actual like cultivation, botany, horticulture skills, um, not necessarily cannabis, but if you had cannabis, it would be good, but it would have to be legal cannabis. So growing in your mom's basement doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, and you know, I just started to put together a team in my head of the people I knew, which weren't very many. I'm coming straight out of school. And I grew up decent, I guess you could say middle, middle class, but I definitely, you know, I don't have like the Kennedy's numbers in my roller desk. Or anything, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I didn't have multi-million dollar, million um, dollar families numbers. So it wasn't like, oh, I just, I know how to make this happen. No, I called my mom. Um, and I asked her, what do you think about this? You know, I, I kind of presented her with a, a big picture, like, look at where the industry is going. Look at what they're saying the Maryland market could be alone. Mom, we can start this business and this can be a legacy for us. Because we used to always talk about legacy and what we're leaving. And my mom, you know, she used to always say to me, I work so hard, but I feel like, you know, I'm not going to really leave you guys with too much. You know, we got a lot of debt. We have a lot of stuff. We have a lot of debt. And I don't want, this isn't what I want, you know, but my mom took it to the next level from her mom. So she kind of passed the torch to me and said, all right, now it's the time for us to take it to the next level. And um, we put together a team and applied in 2015, the end of 2015. The application was due in November. Mm-hmm. And then um, it was supposed to be a three-month turnaround. So I officially moved back to Maryland at that point, 2015, in um, thinking, you know, oh, we're going to be getting an award in three months and then off to the races. So then January, February, March, April, May, June, all these months passed. I'm not doing a darn thing. Um, I'm twiddling my thumbs and getting really restless and thinking I might've made a mistake. Um, And then we were finally awarded our dispensary license in December of 2016. Mm. We bought our building in 2017 
We didn't open until 2018. Dang. It was a long process, guys. Very long. That, that is a long process, but it, it definitely speaks volumes to a lot of things. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, being resilient for one. You didn't give up because I know a lot of people wanted to move back. And like you said, you wasn't doing anything and you had to wait. It was a whole another year, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I got my real estate license and I was working in real estate just so I could make survive. Yeah. You know, but, um, and like I said, luckily I could, you know, I, I was, it's just really crazy. I was doing really well in Atlanta, you know, very independent. And then it's like, I had to move back in my mother's basement. What, what type of mindset that did that put you in though, having to do that? Um, you know, it's funny because my mind, I, over these years, I've had to really exercise my brain and work on developing my mindset. That's something I'm really, really passionate about now because I feel like I'm just now getting to the point, I wouldn't say of mastery, but I'm, of, I'm very comfortable with controlling the way that I think. But it had to start there. All that time of thinking about what did you do, Hope? You know, why are you doing this? I had to really come up with like my big why in life and what it looks like to get there and what I was willing to sacrifice to get there. So I did a lot of thinking, but I will say, I mean, I, I, was, I was in a little bit of a, a place of confusion. I've been, and, and I wanna say a little bit of depression going through that, but I pushed through. The resilience thing really helped because once I got clear on why I was doing what I was doing, um, and then also I was clear on the fact that you're so young, Hope, you can just start all over if need be. You know, so that's what I kept telling myself. Give it a few years. And even as long as you're under 30, you can go get another entry level job and off the strength of your education and your previous experience. You're good. And that's what I kept telling myself. And eventually I developed the confidence to um, I believe I'm at the point now where I'm pretty much like manifesting the life that I want. That's great. Yeah. And it, it probably also helped that you like you attacked it with a very, very good like strategy. You developed a strategy. You thought about it like you didn't just go straight into it. And it was just like, you know, I'm going to just attack this. You kind of went at it like I, one thing I did want to pull out of what you said earlier. I really like uh, the concept of barriers of entry. And like you made sure that you didn't go like most people will go to where it's the easiest, you know, oh, I'll go to where I can get my license the easiest. Exactly. I can get open everything. But she was like, uh -uh, I want to go to where it's hard because then once I get in, I'm the only one. And I like that. Like, I like that you were thinking like that. A lot of people wouldn't have thought about it like that. They would have went the easy way. Mm -hmm. I definitely didn't think. When I was doing it, I like, you know, the whole the youngest African-American woman to own a dispensary that. So I, I wasn't thinking about that at first. I was thinking, I'm like, okay, if I go into a limited licensing state, limited means more valuable. That's what I'm, you know what I mean? Like if I get it this way, and I was watching other people who are now um, MSOs, so that's a, a big term in cannabis, multi-state operators. Because like I said, remember, it's different in every state. So if you can set up an infrastructure right now, and you cannot, there's no interstate, uh, commerce allowed. Yeah. You cannot transfer over state lines in any way. Right. So if you're able to win or acquire licenses in every state, then once it goes federally legal, you already have a distribution network set up. You already have a retail network set up, right? Mm -hmm. So there are these multi-state operators right now that are huge and they're getting 10, 20 times 
uh, their revenue valuations. Uh, their market caps are in the billion dollars, some of them, and they're on the Canadian Stock Exchange. Um, some of them are getting really big. They have like 40 and 50 licenses <clears throat> all over. I mean, but back in 2014, I was watching these people and they had two licenses, three licenses. What? So I, have a, I have a question because I know you said earlier you were saying that this is an industry that right now is booming, but if we don't get the right information and get involved now, we, the, the barriers will be closed. And that's one thing I'm hearing from what you're saying is like yeah. these people that are getting all these uh, licenses have a head start. So it's like for some, for some, if anybody was trying to get involved, how would they go about it? Like where would they, where would you encourage somebody to get started since right now is the time before the yeah. doors close? I mean, so first thing I tell people is I would definitely look at the ancillary route and look at whatever you're doing in your current, you know, your current life and seeing how you can transfer that to the cannabis industry or how you can support one of these larger entities. Not everybody is, is meant to be an entrepreneur and run their own thing, but these organizations have gotten so big now. And because it's such a nuanced industry, if you can get in and you really understand what you're doing, you could really be either charging a premium for whatever services that you do, or you could be, you know, if you're working for a company, you'll probably be getting paid at least, you know, 50% more of whatever your current salary is in your current position. So that's the first thing I tell people. But if you're interested in going the plant touching route, like you want to own a dispensary, you want to be a cultivator, and you want to be in a state that's not um, a little bit easy. I, I wouldn't even say that any state is easy at this point because they're all highly regulated. But, you know, it's, it's e a little easier on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that if you're interested in the legal plant touching side, medical or rec, um, one of the best things to do is to maybe partner with um, one of those MSOs. At this point, um, there's, a, there's a strong push in the industry. Um, as you can see, just in general, um, people are understanding the effects that the war on drugs had on uh, black and brown communities. So mm -hmm. a lot of, it, it's almost a pillar in the industry to support minority-owned businesses. Yes. Um, mm. That being said, a lot of these MSOs that are very, very well-funded are starting funds to uh, partner with minority-owned businesses to help them succeed. And I say that that is a route. A lot of people don't want to take money from the man, but I'm saying that it's a way to get started. Forget all that. We're talking about building black wealth. We're not talking about taking down an entire system that has been, uh, you know, it's been over 400 years. Yeah, we're not trying to do that in, in one failed swoop, you know? so. And this industry is not going to allow you to do that. And like someone said, they already have a head start. Right. Huge, Huge head start. I mean, one company uh, has a canopy was invested in by Constellation Brands, which I don't know if you guys know. Is yeah, a, talked about that on a, on yeah, a you know, four billion, right? Five billion. Five billion dollars cash. How do you compete with a company that has five billion dollars cash? They can bleed out. And all of them are bleeding, by the way. If you go look at their financial statements mm -hmm. and stuff, they're spending 200 times revenue on just marketing and just regular general expenses because yeah. they're trying to, they're maintaining, they're ramping up, and they're trying to realize all of this opportunity that is going to come with federal legalization. Mm -hmm. the, it might be a bubble that bursts. So that's why I'm saying this is our opportunity right now to get involved on that side of the business because now this is when people are getting the really crazy valuations. You can win a license and sell the piece of paper 
for a lot of money. Like literally, you can do that if you want to. You can start a brand, but it's very difficult and costly to compete with those multi-state operators that can spend double what they make for the next five years and they plan for it just to realize the market, you know, once it goes legal, I mean, can you compete with that? So partnerships um, and also raising money privately, like from family offices or just high net worth individuals, I would not say try and go get $10,000 from your family and friends because this industry is a long road and you don't want your auntie calling you every day talking about where is her money. Yeah. Hope is something I want to get with get on with you. So mm -hmm. cannabis industry. I'm currently invested in cannabis stocks. I, I firmly believe in cannabis. Do you as a person in cannabis, do you feel like the industry is highly overvalued or just slightly overvalued right now? I think it's slightly overvalued. I think what's gonna really affect valuations is going to be medical research mm -hmm. okay so that's kind of the issue right now in the cannabis industry because of its federal status we can't do legal research at universities which really have mm -hmm. the capacity to, to do the types of research that you know we really need and that's what gets published so depending on what findings like that say and really which depends on federal legalization i mean it's it's gonna be a bumpy ride until federal legalization when it comes to um, the publicly traded companies. Afterwards, um, the, the, the research that comes out and how the industry is shaped, you have to think about right now, the federal government is not regulating this industry at all. Yeah. So mm -hmm. once the FDA comes in, um, our medical dispensary is going to turn into like pharmacies or our pharmacies going to take over the medical side. And that's, our, you know, who knows? I thought of that also. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a lot. And all of this is going to affect all the valuations. I do think we're slightly overvalued right now, potentially, but we might be undervalued. So I don't, I think it just depends on what ends up happening after yeah. federal legalization. I'm going to just keep I know I was reading. Yeah, I'll keep buying. <laughs> I, 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 I believe. I, 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 I have some cannabis stocks, you know, and I'm definitely going to hold on to them. Oh, yeah. Cause I know I know, I was reading for something as well because I was, when I was in uh, Portland, uh, they were saying that some of the dispensaries there were uh, placed there because of their tax laws in Portland and, or well, in Oregon and Washington. Uh, so, like, I know that, that might affect it as well as far as the valuations because now I think they said the way it's set up, uh, you can't, because it's not federally legal, we're owning a dispensary, you can't uh work your taxes the same as far as paying all your expenses and everything right no yeah so um because cannabis is federally illegal um there is a part of the internal revenue call code called 280e that mm -hmm. says that if you are an illegal enterprise you can file taxes any illegal uh, enterprise can file taxes However, mm -hmm. you can only write off. Yeah, because you just can't get the write-offs. Remember the exact story, so just forgive me, but pretty much a drug dealer tried to pay taxes one time. You know, they're like, damn, we want to accept their money, but how do we do that legally? So what the federal government came back and said, and then it holds true for even now cannabis businesses, it wasn't directly targeted against cannabis, I'll say that, but yeah. it just is what it is now. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And um, 280E says that you can only write off um, your cost of goods sold, your COGS. 
So that is, you know, for a cultivator, that is pretty much everything that they do. But for a retail, it's pretty much nothing that they do except for paying for the product itself. But normal business expenses, regular business expenses like payroll, um, your, your, your actual facility, so your rent, um, insurance, None of the normal things, office supplies, normal things that you can write off on your taxes, cannabis business can that cannabis businesses or any federally illegal business, they can't write those off. Right. So effectively mm -hmm. we get taxed sometimes at an eighty percent tax rate. Mm -hmm. yeah. There are ways yeah. to, to minimize that tax rate. Yeah, there are ways to minimize it. But I mean, pretty much either way, no matter what, it's gonna be much higher. It's gonna be somewhere between a fifty and eighty. Uh, percent tax rate, no matter how good your account is still federally illegal. Yeah, right. no matter no, what, you know what I mean. You're not going to be able to write off everything. You might be able to figure right. out how to write off a little portion of your your uh, property and packaging there. So that's a part of cost. You know, I mean, there's like different things you can do, but that's also another reason why I say it's super capital intensive in this industry. So you have to be able to maintain until the laws change. Did that ever scare you, though, like the 80% tax? Yeah, it's really scary. We've paid a tax bill. And, you know, in some states, luckily, we work with a bank that, you know, things work well for us. We, we have pretty normal banking with the exception of payment processing. That's the only thing we really can't do. Right. Um, but in some places, they have no access to banking. So they have to physically drive duffel bags to the feds mm -hmm. and to pay taxes i've watched that on a documentary like crazy. they have people yeah. that they hire to like trail them Transport. and follow them because people will try to like rob them bro. i mean it'll be like two hundred thousand dollars in yeah. cash yeah in a duffel bag like for real you know what i mean so a little, little white lady driving it down to you know somewhere in colorado and that's right. what really what it is that's really what it is and that's unsafe so they've introduced, uh, they've introduced legislation actually right now that will pass the House. Uh, I've, I've heard it multiple times. I was just on a panel, um, actually a really dope panel that I couldn't believe that I was invited to be on with uh, the CEO of Harvest. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Harvest, but they just did one of the biggest uh, cannabis deals I think I, uh, in history. I yeah. I they sound like they're big. And they're multi-billion-dollar company, yeah. CEO of Harvest, the head of the American Banking Association, um, some really prominent doctors. Uh, but yeah, it was a private panel for New York Times where we discussed drug policy and they're gonna actually publish the uh, recommendations that the panel had. I was like, so I couldn't believe I was in the room. I'm like, why y'all have me here? But great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'm glad you talked about, you just talked about that because that's something I wanted to dive into. like. I'm one of those people, I look into all kinds of stuff, and like y'all, with the drug policy, and I just want to talk about how utterly ridiculous it is that marijuana is a Schedule One drug. Like whenever you look at the opioid crisis and all these other things, so i definitely like to hear your opinion on that type of stuff, just like as a person investing in the industry with the outlook on it. Yeah. You know, we have to remember why uh, it is a Schedule One drug in the first place. Um, so when it happened during the Reagan era, you have to realize, or Nixon, I'm sorry, it was, it was all about uh, two things, protecting 
um, or not letting the hemp industry disrupt so many other industries because it would have made a lot of families with long money, not their money not be so long anymore. So that's the first thing because the hemp industry, you know, with textiles and industrial hemp, I mean, you can do so much over 50,000 uses of industrial hemp. So including like paper, plastic, uh, home building supplies. I mean, the first car was built with, with hemp. That's what so I want to That's a big thing. That's yeah. that's part of why it became I love this shit right now. And then two, the, the next thing was it was a way to, to lock up our black and brown population. Even the word marijuana stems from Hispanics coming in and immigrating into America, and that's what they called cannabis, marijuana. Mm-hmm. So they started to demonize the plant by calling it marijuana. A lot of people didn't even know cannabis and marijuana were the same thing. Mm-hmm. They purposely did that to make it a bad thing. And then kind of like our rappers now, champion smoking weed kind of in videos and stuff, that was the same thing our jazz artists did back then. Yeah. So it was a way to target them as well as our jazz artists were freely riding through the North and people or the, the South and people weren't liking it. Mm-hmm. It was a way to get them with cannabis and look at what it's done. Our prison population today is five and six other, mm -hmm, other countries. And then when you look at marijuana arrests at everyone uses cannabis at the same rate, rate, every race. However, African-Americans are almost four times more likely to be uh, arrested or somehow prosecuted for the, just the use possession. Um, of using cannabis so i think that's important to note and now 80 percent of all marijuana arrests are african-american that is extremely disproportionate especially looking at the you know demographics of our country that doesn't make any sense at all um, especially since the rate of use is the same yeah so you look at that and you can tell it was all orchestrated on purpose. It's not about medicinal value because that's what schedule one status means. It means it has absolutely no medicinal value, which we know that it does. And even if you look at the history of, of how, you know, prohibition came to be about the U S actually ignored uh, research that, that government agencies were trying to present that said, Hey, look, no cannabis is good. Cannabis is, it can, has medicinal value. The president ignored that to fuel these other reasons that he was um, trying to do it. So the country itself, even back then with Nixon was acknowledging that cannabis is a plant that we have used as a medicine for years before. It is good, it is not harmful, but they ignored that to fuel those other greedy um, purposes. And now here we are, and it has really disenfranchised the African-American community and Latino communities too. You know, okay. I I really I that's why I agree with what you said. Something you said earlier, where you were like, we need to be the people trying to take advantage of the grants and the programs and stuff like that. Because it's like, yeah. at a point now, it's only gonna get supported for those same selfish reasons. On the flip side, like they're only supporting it now because it's such a good tax revenue. Like yeah. so, with that being said, it's like we need to hop in and take advantage of those programs because we already been. Come on, y'all, we've been fucked over. So we may as well be able to try to get some type of benefit on the back end. Agreed. Agreed. I I got another point I want to go to. So I know how you said, you know, we're also like the highest uh, incarcerated. But now how do you feel that, you know, our counterparts are benefiting and making billions of dollars off of this now 
And I wanted to know if there's like a push on support within the industry to say, you know, help kind of reverse what has happened on the legal side to try to get some of those people who got incarcerated for marijuana, uh, if there's any type of push within the industry to try to like combat that. Yeah, there definitely is. Um, that's kind of what I was saying about how like this industry is unique, wherein that push for diversity and inclusion and social mm -hmm. justice, all of that is here to stay versus a lot of emerging new industries. Like that might've been like, kind of like a hot topic for a second, but then it, it wasn't really a pillar in that industry. Like the tech industry is a good example that diversity and inclusion in tech was huge when mm -hmm. tech was booming. Now, nobody really cares. You know what I mean? It's not a staple of that industry. It's not going away in cannabis, though, because of the war on drugs. So, um, you know, one state, a lot of states, uh, a lot of people now have become activists when it comes to cannabis. And when, they're, when states are talking about developing their cannabis laws, people are very much so demanding that the law must address these injustices. So you look at, like, what happened in New York. New York wanted to pass adult use. And... Pretty much, you know, they saw the bill, they're like, eh, you know, the people said, nope, this is not good enough. This doesn't reverse or, or really help to reverse. Maybe you can't reverse it. It doesn't um, begin to really address all of the injustices. So we don't want this bill. And they shot it down. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what happened in New York. But then you look at a state like Illinois that's about to legalize adult use on January 1st. And they are going to expunge over 800,000 records uh, because of it. I think it's awesome. And then they also oh have a really God. strong, yeah, they have a really strong social equity program as well, um, where they are giving significant advantages to sec uh, social equity owners. So a lot of larger companies, even like myself, are looking to partner with local social equity applicants in order to um, you know, to, to apply and uh, get licensure in Illinois. So I think it's really exciting and it starts at that level. It definitely starts at the legislative level because if you leave it up to entrepreneurs, I mean, yeah, not happening, not happening. So I think it's kind of two sides of it too. I think we need to reinvest directly in those communities that have been affected. Um, we need to provide funding to the schools. We need to provide funding to, you know, the community organizations that are doing things in the area. And then we also need to uh, help specific families get involved in the industry so they can benefit off of, you know, actually the, the revenue of the industry. But I think investing in communities and holding companies uh, accountable to that is important as well, because in a lot of these application processes, you have to write down like a diversity initiative or a social impact or corporate social responsibility plan. A lot of people write all these things that they're going to do to reinvest in the community and they don't actually do them. Mm -hmm. So holding people accountable to that, I think is another way that we can do it. So I, I think there is a push for it. It's not like it's not happening. It's mm -hmm. definitely a push for it. And in most places, if it's not in the, the law, uh, you know, constituents are not allowing it to pass. And yeah. I definitely think once it becomes, you know, older and like yeah. more as as time passes, yeah, like it progresses, time. Like, you'll get more regulations and everything. As more it. millennials get into office, mm -hmm. like that's whenever I believe we're really gonna start yeah, seeing it's gonna change. it's gonna take effect whenever we get people our age get into office. Yeah. Yes. Really gonna change. Okay. And even now I like the I like the way the industry is set up as far as like from at least from what I was told with the state of like Washington, for example, again. 
they're the way that their tax revenue from marijuana is set up like they pay for a lot of the majority of the, the revenue goes to schools goes yeah. to pay the roads goes to like a lot of positive purposes so it's like that's a really cool thing just about the industry in general and but like another thing targeted towards the right communities right mm, you know because yes, i look at the state of maryland and there's just a big uh disparity between certain neighborhoods sometimes neighborhoods that are very close so mm. you know they need to be i think they need to be um appropriated appropriately so that <laughs> so that the the right communities are actually benefiting i mean a, a nice community already has nice roads and stuff and then you go in the hood and there's potholes everywhere and right, trash right, everywhere. Right. More money needs to be allocated to that community. Yeah, we have now, to do that work too. I do. I do have another question though, because you had mentioned something a little bit earlier. You said that like a lot of uh, programs are coming out uh, as far as like different grants and different things that are supporting uh, for people of color or like just diversity in the industry for marijuana. So like, where do people? Where would people find that type of information? Where do they find like? you know, the, the partnership or how, how would they go about finding that type of stuff? Yeah, it's so difficult to stay up to date with what's going on in this industry because it is state by state. So mm -hmm. it's like you almost have to be following every state. Um, for me, joining community groups was how I really got engulfed into this industry. Um, so for me, um, at first, my first kind of connection to this industry was Women Grow, which is a networking um, a networking company that that has different chapters in every state they throw cannabis networking events and that was kind of my first introduction once I started meeting people in the industry I'd always say hey what's going on what's the next state to come on and then once I realized that you know it's not that hard to go onto the, the state website learn about the program research articles but it is difficult to kind of know everything that's going on there's no one place really that gives you all that information because remember it's extremely competitive right now no one is really trying to help anyone yeah. learn everything, you know, it's difficult. Um, so uh, joining that, another one, another good one for African-Americans, minorities for, and any minority, minorities for medical marijuana is a great group to join. Um, they're always letting you know what's going on in the industry and what's up next and, you know, and, and pairing people with others that can help them succeed. Partnership is definitely the key to success in this industry. I love it. Um, and from you going to those community events, did you eventually find you like a mentor that kind of, you know, helped you and gave you the game on the wake? You know, I've, I've had very many mentors uh, on my journey. Um, no one that has really shaped uh, where I am. No, I will say that my mom and I are like, we're the dynamic duo. We can figure anything out. I swear. I mean, me and that she is she's she's definitely the goat uh, forever will be i mean my mom can figure out how to do anything and she's passed that down to me we we don't take no for an answer and that's kind of how we got through but it's funny because i just connected with a really high level executive um at canopy growth and which is another yeah really multi-billion dollar company yeah and that's kind of been my mentor um going forward now now that i'm kind of get taking it to the next level and and, and being at these tables that i'm just so just i mean I, I i'm not surprised but it's just i'm so um grateful like yeah. i'm taking it all in like wow you know the fact that someone reached out to me 
and felt that I would be a good addition to this group of a very esteemed, prestigious members of this community. It lets me know I'm I'm well on my way. Thank you, God, for the reminder that you're on uh, that I'm on my way because sometimes I need it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I need it. You're definitely doing some really great, some better. great work. So now I want to kind of ask: So, what's the future for Mary and May? Mm. Yeah, I want to see that. Um, I, you know, I, I have, sometimes I have a hard time speaking things into the future because it's like, oh, if it doesn't happen, you know, I don't no, want to speak yeah. about that. You know, I like, you literally but just, yeah, said, you just great. manifested it. Exactly. Exactly. I can, I'm really great internally, externally getting there. But, um, <laughs> you know, so we have applied, uh, we've created a parent company. Mary Main is our retail brand that will remain that we are attempting to expand. Um, we want to scale into other states, potentially acquire more licenses here in Maryland uh, on the retail side. And for the past year and a half, I have been preparing uh, a team to apply for a cultivation and processing license here in Maryland. They did another round because in the first round, no minority applicants were awarded the licenses. Mm -hmm. So they came back around and also there is there is a demand for more. So. Um, they are licensing a few more cultivators and processors here in Maryland. So I am awaiting that response, which I will find out in the next three weeks. Yeah. Whether or not uh, I was awarded that. If I was, if I, when I am awarded that license. There we that, go. That <laughs> changes everything. That really changes the game. Because I go from a company that's, you know, a dispensary is probably evaluated anywhere between depending on the state and all that stuff anywhere between three and eight nine ten million dollars depending on their revenue where they're located and all of that that's a dispensary a cultivation and a processing and a limited licensing state like maryland i mean these facilities are very very large i mean we're talking about 20 million dollar valuations overnight from the piece of paper build out the building and you know have good revenue we're talking about 30 40 50 million dollar valuations in two years and that's just if i wanted to sell it i could keep building things up um from there i'll be able to raise money at rapid speed i'll be able to expand to other states i'll be able to really build a portfolio of companies that one day i'll either be able to take public or I will uh, let be acquired by a larger brand and I will roll up and work for a larger brand. You know, that's kind of my plan right now. And I plan to enact either one of those exit strategies in the next five to seven years or whenever, right before federal legalization happens. That's my plan. Mm. A woman on the move. Y'all be on the lookout for Girl, please. <laughs> That's it. That's the plan. I, I thought about it, you know, once or twice. <laughs> Just a couple yeah. times, you know. <laughs> yeah, I do have. That's pretty cool. What is your biggest accomplishment um, as far as your dispensary, and then your the biggest challenge that you didn't see coming? My biggest accomplishment is one getting it open. I'll have to say, so out of the hundred and two that got licensed here in Maryland there are about 86 that are operational. The rest of them could not figure it out for a myriad of reasons. Uh, a lot of it, real estate issues, zoning issues, some capital issues, they didn't have the money, or some of them partnership issues, arguments. Um, 
we didn't, we got through all of those things. Not that we necessarily had any arguments or anything, but we didn't, we got through all those obstacles and we actually opened and we've been open for one year. Um, no, no probation or anything like that. No major violations. So I'm, I'm just really excited that we've made that milestone. Um, biggest challenge is uh, compliance in this industry. I had, I understood that compliance was important. I understood that it was difficult, but actually doing it and understanding the level of detail that you are uh, being held to that standard is a whole different uh, experience for me. Something as small as not filling out uh, a cleaning log correctly could get you four or five violations and the violations could range from you know, not following your SOP correctly. If your SOP says you're going to clean your, your stuff every time, it could, it could say that you are endangering public safety from, because of contamination in your packaging. You know, you could, all these things. Yeah. Just you didn't write down that you cleaned. Even if you did clean, but you didn't write it down. And in healthcare and these types of industries that are highly regulated, you don't write it down, it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. So you could be facing like a $10,000 fine and probation because of that. Um, it's, it's so, it's that detailed. It's that particular. So uh, me having to get used to that and never operating in a space quite like that was a little difficult. However, you know, my mother and our other business partner, they're both from the healthcare field. My mom's a dentist and our other partner is an oral surgeon. So they understood to an extent, but they aren't even held to that type of standard themselves. So yeah, it, that, that is a learning curve. Uh, and that is why states like to license current operators because they understand that. Uh, you know, they, they probably went through their growing pains already. They're not going to make those simple mistakes. Where I knew people, you're going to make the mistake. You know, you, you, oh, no. you're not going to, you're going to do it. So I think that's a lot of times why current operators always have preference. And you mentioned SOPs and I'm in the oil and gas industry. That's like one of the biggest. Oh, yeah, you understand that. SOPs is you got to follow them. So y'all have an SOP that y'all have to actually write out and y'all got to follow it and it holds you up yep. to it. That's crazy. Yeah. Our inspectors come in they're like, you know, if they see some, first off, there's, you know, the, the regulations that they develop that we have to follow. Then we have to develop our own SOPs and we are beholden to those just as much as the other, as, as the true regulations from the state. So when our inspectors come in and we have unannounced inspections and all of that too, um, they come in and they go, okay, so let me see your SOP on your procedure for visitors. And they'll go look and they say, all right, it says that every visitor, every time they come in, you're going to take, even though the regulations say, you only have to keep one copy of their ID. Okay. That's all you, that's all the regulations say. So you can interpret that different ways. You have to get a copy every single time that they come or just one copy per person on file at any time. And then, okay, so that, that's, the, that's the regulation. And then, but your SOP says that you're gonna copy the ID every time, right? If they come in, they look at that SOP and that's what your SOP says, they're gonna go in and they're gonna say, all right, this person, they do deliveries here. I see they're a frequent visitor, but you said you were gonna have a copy of their ID every single time, you only have it once, fine. Mm -hmm. 
you're not following your SOP, that's a fine. But uh, inspector, I'm following the, the state regulation now. Yeah, you are, but also in the state regulations, it says you must follow your own SOPs and you're not following that. It's just a, it's, it's that much of, it's really difficult. And then um, a lot of times you're getting people to, who are working for you, especially at the retail level that have never worked in um, that type of very compliant environment. So it, it's, it's difficult. And I am responsible for my employees. They didn't make the mistake. I did. So, you know, I, I always have to tell them that, like, look, guys, I, you are a reflection of me. Um, everything that you do, I'm held responsible for. So, you know, I, I take it upon myself to really try and do a lot of training. And, um, and whenever something goes wrong, I first look at what I could have done. I never blame my employees for anything. Um, that means I didn't teach well enough. Um, and that, and I revamped that. I'm constantly learning on the best way to communicate and uh, be a leader. But it's, it's difficult. It's hard. But I'm really enjoying the process. Man, I go, you dope as shit. Yeah, that's a <laughs> like, whole renaissance. Yeah, bro. Like, you already know it. Because it's just like the whole aura is like go giver aura. Like you're like, yeah, I'm gonna be the leader. It's all starting at the top. Even like the way where you're paving the way for everybody else. It's so it's dope, man. So definitely keep on pushing and keep on just going. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, we're gonna pivot to the last uh on the, the last segment of yeah, the podcast, uh, our favorite segment, I, I like to call it, uh, what's on your timeline? So Hope, we just want to know what's something that you've seen on social media that you thought was either impactful or important, just something you wanted to speak on. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's, it's super impactful or important, but for me, I need a, you know, I sometimes I need some like relief from seriousness. Yeah. Um, but the little girl, Zaza, have you guys know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Absolutely adorable. So much confidence. It's a little girl who, you know, her mom and dad tape her kind of dancing and singing. She, she got a song. Bro. Yeah, she just got a song out that I actually like, like well enough to like listen to it, which is crazy. <laughs> little girl is four, um, but has the personality of like a shooting star. You can just tell that like she was born for it. And it just, it made me feel like so inspired by seeing that. Like, wow, this little girl is so fearless. And I, I pray that she can keep that, that fearlessness as she grows up and she starts, you know, realizing what the world is actually like. Yeah. But whenever I see that and I'm like, man, like the fact that she can tap into that, that natural born ability so young, that girl is going to be a star. So, you know, that was really inspiring for me and, you know, I, that's crazy to say that a four-year-old made me feel like, you know, man, I feel great that I'm walking in my purpose watching a little four-year-old walk in hers. Because she definitely is. She's made for the spotlight. I, when I was four, I could never. <laughs> I got to go look at her. I got to go, hey, go look her up. got a whole little song and everything. She was like, Ellen. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah, she's so cute. She's adorable. She's adorable. So, yeah, definitely check her out. She's cool. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> Red Carpet Girls, I think, is her Instagram name, but her name is Zaza. Zaza yeah. Type in like Zaza or something, you'll find her. That's a good girl, bro. Yeah. y'all have anything on y'all timelines? I ain't even been on it, bro. I'm be honest. Yeah, man, we've been on the grind. I ain't going to stunt. <laughs> <laughs> no. Rihanna's Diamond Ball just happened, too which was awesome. She honored Sean King, which was dope. You know, he's, he's always 
mm -hmm. um, highlighting social justice issues. Um, so yeah, and Cardi B talked about that too. Cardi B posted a picture of Rihanna and herself and then just called out how it was super cool that Rihanna honored Sean King because he a lot of things that he does go unnoticed, um, which is really awesome. He does a lot of work to bring awareness to the African-American community. So I thought it was really cool. Rihanna was able to raise a lot of money last night. It's just, you know, I, I love it. There's a lot of black Riri has, shit going on. But Riri has been bossing up lately. Like, on the, on the lowest of key. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Been talking about. Low key. Hey, shout <laughs> out to you. <laughs> out there, man. I'm saying, bro, but like, like it's not like it's not an everyday conversation. Yeah, like you don't really like just think of like Damn, Rihanna not she, making music no yeah. more because she like she really like out here doing, doing this business. business shit. Really doing it. I mean, she's transitioned kind of. I'm sure she'll give us another album or two, just like Jay started doing again. You yeah. know, after when she got all her stuff in line, she needs yeah. a lot of her assets right now. She getting her portfolio together. She's doing good. She's working. She just like launched a fashion line too. So yeah, she just launched like, a huge one too. Not like yeah. this brand will rival, you know, yeah. Givenchy and, and it's like a huge fashion. Yeah, like, it's like a big brand. Like, I love, like I love this thing going on right now. We got black owned designers for real, for real now. Like, like people really sleep. This is really a black wealth renaissance. Yeah. It's not just a name. It's like not, a movement. Yeah, it's for like, real, yeah. movement that has yeah. to be highlighted. Definitely a movement. Okay, so look, can you plug yourself in uh, for the guests if they want to keep up with you, where they can find you at, if they want to learn more about your company? Yeah, so if you want to learn more about me, what I have going on personally, my Instagram name is I am hope so dope, all one word. Um, same with my Twitter. Um, my website, personal website, is hopewiseman.com, and it's spelled like wise man. Um, not like the Jewish way. I'm not Jewish. And yeah, a lot of people just can't get past my last name. Um, and then if you want to follow my company and what we are doing and see all that exciting growth that I'm talking about, our Instagram and Twitter is Mary A N D and Main. So M A I N. Um, and then our website is that as well, maryandmain.com. Hello. Dope, dope, dope. So let's get into some housekeeping before we wrap up this episode. Uh, first and foremost, we appreciate everybody for continuing to listen to the podcast. Uh, once again, we cracked the top 100. It's been just crazy. Yeah. We appreciate all the ratings and reviews that everybody keeps giving us. We're just thankful for all the support. Yeah, like, for real, man. We appreciate y'all riding for us. Thanks. That's why we're going to keep working and keep doing all these things. Uh, for sure, for sure, y'all check out the website. BlackWellFrenaissance.com. Uh, we got a lot of tools and resources up there, debt calculators. Uh, you can figure out the interest uh, yeah. uh, credit to uh, debt income calculator. We got a lot of things for you guys just to kind of get yourself together financially. We also got realtor directory. Uh, the CPA directory is about to be up. And also the financial advisor uh, directory yeah. will soon be up. So y'all definitely check out the uh, website. And check out all of that great stuff that we got going on. Got some blog content up there for y'all. Blogs. You got a really dope one that just came out. Yeah, our uh, latest one was how to travel affordably. Um, and shout out to Carolyn, one of our blog writers, man. So that was a pretty, pretty dope uh, blog. Y'all go check that out. Yeah. 
especially since the holiday season is coming around. You can probably find out some ways to travel a little bit cheaper. You know, that's what we're about at BWR, keeping the bread in our pocket. Yeah. Getting it to the other place. But, uh, Jared, Kelly, y'all got anything else y'all want to add, bro? Um, make sure y'all become a patron and just support us. This is for help y'all so we can come up to different cities and do a lot of great things for BWR. Uh, it'll be patreon.com slash T-H-E-B-W-R as patreon.com slash T-H-E-B-W-R. Yeah. And I got one last thing I'm going to talk to talk about. Uh, the Black Investor Summit. Summit. We got to yeah, talk about it. Hope we got to <laughs> holler at you after this thing, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Black Investor Summit is coming next year. We, we talking about this is the Black Essence for investors. The Black South by Southwest. Ooh, like, oh, it's, we, it's, it's, it's gonna be. Don't, don't get me started. It's getting we, we don't even gonna tell We gonna give you some call. more details as it comes. But yeah, all right. So, well, they all said this is Black Wolf Renaissance signing out. Peace. <laughs>of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. There's nothing better than feeling comfortable in your own shoes. And that doesn't mean flopping down on the couch with bunny slippers. Maybe you're a parent raising a little rock star or a tech nomad working from anywhere and jumping from one thing to the next. Whoever you are, Allbird wants you to be comfortable in your actual shoes too. Their wool runners, pipers, and loungers are designed for a level of coziness that makes you feel like you can do anything. You might even forget you're wearing them. And their shoes are so stylish, they go perfectly with a wear-whatever-I-want attitude. Allbirds is all about loving Mother Nature too, because no one wants to leave a bad footprint. Each shoe is carefully crafted from natural materials that tread lightly on our planet. From ZQ certified merino wool to a bouncy midsole made from sweet foam, the world's first carbon negative EVA material made from sugarcane. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bottom of the At participating McDonald's.